All right. So for this episode of The Exit Plan, we have Typo uh, joining us. I met Typo through Twitter. He's a former Marine veteran uh, turned anarcho-capitalist like myself, and he's also a host of the Biting the Bullet podcast. So Typo, thanks very much for joining me. Uh, thanks for having me on, dude. Really excited. Yeah, right on. I know I kind of gave like a brief introduction, but maybe you could just give us a little more of an intro and tell us about yourself. Uh, sure. Yeah. I'm typo former Marine. I was an intelligence Marine for five years and toward the end of my contract, I started to become more of a I guess libertarian thinking, uh, especially during the Trump election, I guess that kind of really brought my attention to politics or at least American politics a lot more, uh, uh, kind of influence through people that I know personally, and but uh, also somewhat Gary Johnson, which is not a, <laughs> typically what people hear. Um, but then uh, me and my buddies, we kind of thought that we were the after shortly after getting out of the military, we kind of thought we were alone in our ideas and thinking. We kind of thought that we were uh, the only ones out there that were kind of becoming libertarian or anarcho-capitalist types. And we were talking about all this kind of stuff and politics in the backyard together, just arguing and joking around. And we figured that we'd just put a microphone in front of us and see what happens. And, and that's how the podcast Biting the Bullet started, where it would be me, um, Luke, originally was our other buddy, Jared, but then Jared, uh, he moved on to bigger and better things. So it's just now me and Luke. But the whole idea of our podcast is just kind of like that feeling of being back in the smoke pit, just hanging out with buddies in the military and talking about um, different things going on. We kind of more came into it from an anti-war perspective, uh, just the things that um, like I was not never personally deployed, but uh, a lot of my friends were them coming back dealing with those issues and what they saw all over there and uh kind of changed our entire perspective on the military and, and then we started our podcast and it's been going for like two years now so it's pretty cool right on man <clears throat> yeah very cool it's uh definitely a common trend people getting out of the military and then realizing that they were lied to a lot <laughs> so yeah yeah it's it yeah it's very common uh I mean, it's kind of weird too, because a lot, a lot of people from, I guess, our generation of serving in the military that I talked to, I don't know if it's, I mean, I mean, it's kind of anecdotal, but all the Marines that I run into tend to be more maybe radical Republican types or typically more libertarian leaning. And I think that just has a lot to do with like the pressures of the Marine Corps, because I, I mean, I don't really know. I can't speak for the other branches, but just from my perspective, it seems the Marine Corps really tries to control a lot more aspects of your life than any other branch. And I think once you have that sense of like, uh, like, you know, like when you're in, you're like, why am I doing this? And then sometimes you don't get like a legitimate answer of why you're doing the things you're doing. And I think that kind of like that just instinctual, like, okay, this is bullshit. I think that kind of carries over when Marines get out. And they kind of see the government as like, okay, this is like instinctually, this is just kind of bullshit. Like what's going on here? And I think it pushes a lot of people toward like more, I guess, con constitutional conservative types or even libertarian. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know what the exact reason is either. I remember a phrase we would always say is, you know, good enough for government work. <laughs> so yeah. all that stuff of just like, 
you know, doing stuff that makes absolutely no sense and never really getting an explanation to it. <laughs> Usually we're getting a bullshit explanation to why you're doing it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And the Marine Corps definitely does control you uh, a lot more than other branches of the military do. So, so let's move into that. Like why, what caused you to change your mind on, you know, war and the U S military and, you know, cause I, I can say for me, I grew up in a very militaristic family. I grew up, I mean, I was propagandized. I thought that people in the military were, you know, awesome, heroic, badass. Uh, I wanted to be a part of it. And I spent my entire life thinking that this was a good thing. And then when you see things like WikiLeaks and the truth about 9-11 and, you know, Halliburton making 40 billion bucks from the Iraq war, it's like, all right, you need to ask some questions here. And those questions are often very, very difficult. So um, tell us about that process. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, honestly, pretty much going in through high school, I wasn't really political, I would say. I didn't really pay attention. Um, but I, I would probably say the same thing for you applies to me as then, uh, I mean, I'm like, I don't even know, man, like every male in my family has served in the military, like majority of them. I mean, I got grandparents that go back serving in like world war two, Vietnam, Korea war. Like, um, so I, I was very, I was raised in a more military, mil, at least they appreciated the military a lot more and, heavy influence on the Marine Corps because just because that's just so happens where all my family members uh, what branch they served in. And I, you know, coming toward the end of my high school career, I just that was that was my path. That's what I was going to do. And well, I was uh, an intelligence analyst and my whole kind of job was to study like um, other governments, their military and when I, I was stationed in Okinawa, Japan, and I would focus on a lot of things that like North Korea or China was doing. And I would just kind of, I think that's where things started to lay its seeds, where I would just start seeing things like what the Chinese media or North Korean media is saying is doesn't always reflect with reality of what's actually going on. And when you, when you start learning those things, I kind of just took that same approach toward North Korea and South Korean government and started looking at our own government, our own media, and things just didn't line up as we were being told. And then, uh, luckily, I, this is probably very rare, but when I my second unit in the Marine Corps, I went to First Tank Battalion in Twenty Nine Palms. Oh, that sucks. Uh, my, in, oh, it was terrible, dude. It was absolutely that unit does. By the way, that unit doesn't exist anymore. Tanks do not exist in the Marine Corps at all. So everything I did there was absolutely a complete waste. <laughs> uh, but I did get very lucky with the officer I had there because he was a very outspoken Ron Paul libertarian. Whoa. And yeah, very rare. Like, so when, you know, I come in, I would, pro I mean, I didn't, I wouldn't really deem myself as anything politically at the time, but if anything, I probably fell along the lines of like a neocon Republican, just repeating the talking points of, you know, every, like all the other, all the nonsense that they would spill. And he would like, we'd be going like, I don't know, over some intelligence briefings about things going on in the Middle East or whatever. And then, we would learn about like what this insurgency group and this insurgency group's doing here and there. And then at the end of it, you would start telling me things of like, yeah, and we funded them. And <laughs> I'd be like, wait, wait, what? 
And then he would just go into like things that I just never knew about, like what, what, you know, what the military does, what, what the influence that, um, the influence that is in the military that's not really for the uh, best interest of the American people. And when he started putting things like that, I was I was just like kind of shocked because I've never heard these things before. And he kind of definitely pushed me toward being a more libertarian. And then when Donald Trump was running for uh, election, um, I mean, the Marine Corps was pretty freaking hyped about it. Like I saw a lot of a lot of Marines pretty hyped, but I never really kind of, I, I didn't really like the guy. And I mean, I thought he was funny, but I just didn't think that he would have been, I guess, a good president. So I guess I would kind of be politically awakened because, you know, there was like one side in the Marine Corps, I was watching all these, all these people uh, kind of freak out about, are you good? Yeah, hey, sorry about that. My uh, my cord got disconnected. My bad. Oh, you were saying, um, uh, oh darn it, what were you just saying? You were talking about uh, uh, how Donald Trump got elected. Everybody was super pumped. Yeah, so uh, it it seemed like every you know everything was kind of. Well, I'll just tell you a quick story. When I was so when I was Donald Trump became president, like I was would watch the news and there would be like, oh my god, the worst thing ever. And then on the ground in the military, like the day he got elected to Chow Hall, oh my God, man, like they were going crazy when this guy won. I mean, it was really cool. Uh, I liked being in that atmosphere, people very enthusiastic, just really excited. And I mean, can you hear me? Yeah, I can. My bad. No, you're good, dude. I, I live in the middle of nowhere in Southern Illinois, so I have problems like this all the time. So it might be me, not just you. Okay. All right. All right. Well, darn, I, I had to cut you off. Um, I don't know. Go ahead. Uh, so I think I, last thing I kind of was saying, like everyone was very enthusiastic about Donald Trump and, uh, I just, I mean, I was excited for the people around, but I wasn't like at that into Donald Trump, I guess I fell more along the lines of Gary Johnson and I thought he would be the better of the candidates in 2016. But, um, when like, I just, there was one point in time in the 2017 was my last year in the military and I had like five or five or six months left. And at that time, like tensions between Donald Trump and like North Korea seemed kind of high. And I mean, he was just openly talking smack to the dude on Twitter. And, uh, at one point in time, our division general came down and was like giving us it was like for our weekend safety brief or whatever. And during that brief, he straight up tells us we're probably going to go to war with North Korea. Like this came from the division general's mouth. So I had like five months left. I'm already like looking forward to going to college. And, and then I look at Twitter and Donald Trump's on there talking smack. And I'm like, dude, can we calm down for a little bit? Wait till I get out of the military, please. And uh, but then, like, before he even got out of the Marine Corps, he was crossing the DMZ and having like peace talks with the guy, which was just kind of the most crazy mind twist I ever experienced. But I think that like that quote of like, like Donald Trump was very hawkish 
And after my time in the military, I kind of like met a lot of like combat veterans and a lot of them are like kind of messed up from it and their experiences over there and what they did. And none of them were like exactly proud. And, and a lot of them had like terrible stories and nothing just like, and nothing was like the idea that we're serving to fight for freedom or protect the constitution. Yeah. It just seemed like a complete shit show. And that really like held on to me as I was getting out of the military. And I kind of started to recognize that what, what is presented to me as like th the traditional norm or the fact it just, it wasn't true at all. And that's kind of like toward the end of my Marine Corps career was when I really started to dive into more libertarian ideas. Nice. Nice. Did you ever read the book war is a racket when you were in? Uh, no, I never read it when I was in, but I did. I read it shortly after I got out. Okay. Yeah. That's an interesting one. I mean, that's uh, I was handing that out quite a lot toward the end of my quote service. Um, I've noted, I mean, it, it's just like the cognitive dissonance with anything else. I mean, some guys that get out of the military are, you know, not proud of what they did and realize they were lied to and they wake up from it. And then others are like kind of defensive about it. And, you know, they, they try and justify it in some way, but um, are there any like major, for me, I'll tell you the thing that really did it for me was War is a Racket, reading this book written by, you know, a former major general of the Marine Corps who got out of the military and then started going around America uh, on anti, you know, basically on an anti-war tour, talking about how war is uh, only fought for the profit of politicians and central banks. Um, and then, of course, there's the 9-11 stuff, which people can sometimes really look at you like you're, you're crazy about. But uh, what, like, really woke you up from it? Um, so I probably, I don't know, a week or two after I got out of the military, I started working for this construction company. And I, I mean, typically through the day, I'd list, just put my headphones in and listen to music. And then, but one of my buddies, who was already kind of a libertarian and at least in, uh, knew of different libertarian like podcasts and stuff, he just recommended me to listen to Tom Woods and, and Dave Smith, part of the problem. And the whole time while I was working for that company, I just kind of listened to their podcast. And I think that I would contribute to the most is the reason that I completely changed my perspective on politics and I did that kind of may push me into being an anarchist in the, in the sense. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's, um, it's also a difficult thing for people too, because a lot of people in the U S started government schools. And even if you're going to a private school, you're still learning this, you know, the curriculum that the state mandates. So you're basically learning all this government material. And of course the government is going to glorify its military, just like, you know, I tell people like, if you were to go to a school that McDonald's paid for, you would be graduating the school thinking that it's a good thing to go be a manager at McDonald's. It's like, it's, it's common sense. Whoever's funding it is going to have their own interest in it. And with the military, people think the only way we can have a, a safe uh, defense of the nation is to have a standing army. And I disagree with that. And many other people disagree with that. And I, my answer to that is, uh, countries are standing armies make a nation less safe. 
you know, just the general idea of, of taking a bunch, millions of young, naive people and giving them machine guns and then telling them to not question anything. <laughs> like, maybe that's not a good idea, you know? Yeah, I 100% agree. Uh, I, I mean, I think it, like, I think it even start like you said, it starts in public school where, I mean, we grew up in the Bush era and uh the whole like i mean the, what used to be kind of like the woke stuff that you can't question was the troops i mean you can't question the military or the, or the troops or if you don't support the war then you don't support the troops and i mean at the time that resonated with me because of my family military history um so yeah it it, it makes sense that you know like this like we're all kind of like bought into this propaganda that uh, the military is, it's just good, no matter what, no matter what they do is good. And, um, but I think like you're, when people like that, like going on and I've kind of noticed in the news right now is like, uh, you know, that CNN has been harping on, uh, sports for their deals with China. And, um, even Joe Biden has came out to like, Oh, we're going to boycott the Olympics because China, uh, it's because it's being held in Beijing and, like they have to put on this front of like, there is an enemy out there. And I think you're right. There's a lot of Americans that like, oh, we have to have this federal government because what if like China invaded or whatever they're uh, afraid of, like whoever invades or whatever. And I think that um, like, you're right with the fact that we have this military now is what makes other countries or even terrorist groups a threat to us because of all the things that our government and military gets involved with right now, there's like a thing called blowback theory. And when you get involved in other countries, politics, life or country, or literally invade their country, they're not going to be very happy. And that's going to make us uh, like the attacks on our country, like terrorist attacks more possible because there's going to be a lot more people upset that were involved in their stuff. So I, I, I think you're right where, we have this standing army now and it the idea is it's supposed to protect our country but that's just not the reality of what they're doing and them effectively getting involved with a bunch of other nations either militarily or backing them or arming them cause all these unforeseen consequences that result in us being more uh susceptible to attacks from other countries and and things like that yeah it's um it's a tough thing because men do have an instinctive uh, desire for war. <laughs> like men, we we want uh, we we enjoy uh, fighting in some ways, and we have a natural instinct to want to protect other people. And uh, that's a very virtuous that's a very virtuous thing. But unfortunately, the government comes in and uh quote educates people for their you know their entire their entire childhood separates them from their parents and that honorable desire to want to help other people and serve them and die for them potentially is perverted into you know taking that and basically turning somebody into a mindless robot unfortunately there's no other way to say it and that's like I have a hard time, you know, I, I get very annoyed seeing these cops and, uh, you know, especially these cops, but it's the same mentality as people in the military. It's just the order following 
mentality and it's uh very cowardly you know that and that's actually the most ironic thing about it actually because I, I remember being in the marine corps and toward the end like really kind of putting some some people on the spot uh that i had that i had done time with and asked them like hey what do you think about what do you think about the idea of being told not to question orders what do you think about um you know these things in the middle east i just asking people things and pretty much the overwhelming response was just completely avoiding it and you know saying they have a family and they need to they need to feed their family and like i get that but at the same time it's just at what point are we gonna at what point do we draw the line between you know yes you have to feed your family but you're gonna do something totally immoral <laughs> in order to do it you know so uh I, yeah it's just that mentality of you know it, it's not my responsibility my it's the the moral responsibility of what i'm doing is a is on the uniform or on the organization i'm with but if you were in normal clothes not wearing a military uniform and somebody and a politician told you to go kill somebody that wouldn't be okay and just as you're wearing a uniform and you have quote orders to go to another country which you probably can't even locate on a map and go shoot people that doesn't make it okay so um yeah kind of a rant there but that's kind of my thought on the the order following mentality yeah i had a i had a lot of problem even at a young as a young Marine, I had a lot of problems with, I mean, I'm sure, you know, like the message to Garcia, like that whole, uh, like, I guess it, what was it? Um, Commandant's reading list book that they wanted us to read. And I remember them explaining it to me and then actually reading it. And I was so like, I understand what they were trying to, the, the point they were trying to get across, uh, to younger people's like, don't question, don't question any orders, just do as you're told and get it done. But the even the concept of that just bothered me. Like it just bothered me from the very beginning. And I, I like and then, you know, it, we've gotten like, uh, what is the rule? Like you're not supposed to follow any unlawful orders, but that gets like so diluted because like you don't how what as a young Marine, how are you supposed to decide what an unlawful order is? Yeah. And and I don't think a lot of Marines are capable of deciding that. And because, I mean, you don't know any different. You're, you're in this new environment that's high, high structure military, and you don't really know what is an unlawful order necessarily, unless like, I don't know, a lot of, unless you're doing some deep critical reading on the constitution and that's not happening in public schools or definitely really not happening happen. in the military. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hell, I, I don't even like, I didn't even read the constitution before I even swore an oath to it. Like, Dude, I've I, been tweeting about that a lot. Like the majority of people <laughs> in the military have never read the constitution. Yeah. 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 I don't think they want you to in, in, in a sense. And, and like, and if you, and the the way the culture and the structure of the military works too is if you're like out of line even if you are let's just say following the constitution and not following this unlawful order it's not going to work out well for you like it, there's a lot of pressure around you there's a, like and and they have a lot more control of your life like this is not just some job that you can just easily walk away from this no is, they know where you are every second of every single day and 
yeah, you can't even drive past a certain point outside of the uh, parameters of the base on the weekends. Yeah. 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 And I mean, I, I, I mean, I got in a little bit of trouble when I was in the military and I had like 45 days of restriction. And I mean, if anyone doesn't really know what that is, it's like being almost on house arrest, but maybe even worse in a way. And uh, like they, they have a lot of without, I mean, taking you to court necessarily, they have a lot of control over your life a lot. And if you're not, I guess, going with the group, they can make your life miserable almost instantaneously. And it's not, uh, not very fun. And it's so the whole structure itself just kind of, uh, it incentivizes people to just go with the group because it's not fun being the, I guess, black sheep. Cause not maybe not even your higher up sometimes your own people that you serve with that are the same rank as you will look at you differently because if you're messing up the marine corps has this fantastic this fantastic method method of mass punishment so if you're screwing up the entire platoon gets punished and that creates a lot of resentment for people around you to not be happy with you and be angry with you and and then they'll even express their anger with you so i completely understand why someone's just like, oh, I'm just following the orders because it's in mentally speaking, a lot of times in the moment, it can be so much easier than, than trying to disobey or be any sort of different in the military. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. Oh my gosh. You made me think of just the, uh, I mean, so it's, it's easy to forget what it feels like when you're out for a while. And I mean, I've, I've been out for like over three years now, which is nice, but Oh my God. I remember getting a text. We had this one first sergeant, um, <laughs> just thinking of like how ridiculous the garrison rules are for, for anybody listening who doesn't know garrison rules are basically, you know, how does your uniform look? Is your room clean? Are your, yeah. you, know, you know, like just petty, meaningless stuff that has absolutely nothing to do with warfare and actually keeping people safe. Um, yeah, I don't know. I they would just random room inspections. Like they'll just randomly go in your room and look at all your stuff. <laughs> like you don't even know when it's gonna happen. Like it, it's just uh yeah, they totally own you. It's very frustrating. Yeah, and that and it's also kind of like a waste of time and resources, and that's and kind of plays into like why I'm against at least the government ran standing army because I mean, you're not even, I mean, people will say you're in the military, you're a fighting force, but in a sense, you're more just like a workforce. Like you're not even like if they want to use you for warfare, they'll definitely use you for that. But if they want to use you to do, you know, sweeping wide police calls around the base or, and I, I don't know, like, I don't even know, like, like I said before we were on, I don't know if I said this before, but I was in a tank unit and it doesn't even exist anymore. So all the training, all the money that went into this unit that we did for like, I don't know, I was there for two years and it's kind of expensive to train with tanks. Like they, they don't even go by like their mileage on a tank is not uh, miles per gallon. It's gallons per mile. <laughs> so <laughs> like the amount of resources that's just wasted and, and the government that, I mean, it has partially has to do with all the influences from corporations and special interests. And, and then people just like your commander will just come out with this bright idea that we're just going to waste a bunch of time doing this, that, or the other. And it's not like, I mean, I, I think 
80% of the time in my time in the military wasn't training for combat or wasn't, you know, I studying and doing intelligence analysis for the intelligence preparation of the battlefield for a big conventional warfare. It was doing whatever tedious task that was required for the day to, I mean, I, I remember spending weeks getting ready for things just because uh, a top high ranking dude was coming down and we yeah, had to clean that. everything and get everything ready. And I mean, I, I'm sure some of this can reflect in the corporate setting as well, but the amount of waste and time that you, you do in the military is, is uh, honestly was another kind of like red pilling thing is like, we don't even do warfare. We just clean and make sure we look good. I mean, the whole, like the, most of the time in the military, I spent more time trying to present myself to look good than I actually did on to look good in training or anything like that. I don't know. It's just a massive waste of resources. Yeah, 100%. I mean, the government is inefficient at everything except for making life more difficult for people. And, uh, <laughs> you know, like, they're going to be super inefficient with the military too. I mean, people think it's a good idea to have the same organization that runs the DMV to be in charge of their national defense. Like how, how is, we have to question this. And so the other thing with the, the, uh, you know, like in, in an anarcho-capitalist world, if we didn't have a military protecting us, how would we be safe? I forget who exactly it was. I think his last name was Hirohito or no, his last name was Yamamoto. And he was some military leader of Japan at the time. And he, he said, you know, the reason we didn't invade mainline, mainland America is because we would find a rifle behind every blade of grass. And that is really the true deterrent for not only foreign governments invading a country, but your own government from invading you. And, uh, you know, I mean, if you think about it, like, why didn't we win why did we basically lose Vietnam and all of our, our, you know, war efforts in the Middle East? It's because we were fighting against uh, militias. Basically, we were fighting against people who were in their own home country, who were armed, who were organized, who had a common ideology, and they were willing to fight to the death for their homeland. And that's a militia. And that's the exact opposite of have you know than having a standing army, which is basically just a bunch of uh, order following robots holding guns who are not even that well trained, and they're going to do whatever they're told. So one is uh, a free market option of national defense; the other is a communist option, basically. Um, so yeah, uh, any other thoughts on the military or or all that? I'd love to jump into Bitcoin. Maybe we could talk about like how Bitcoin fixes this, and and from the perspective of you know, from our perspective yeah. on Bitcoin. Yeah, I'll just say that a lot of people are. I think a lot of people are a little nervous or skeptical, or because because like they can't imagine a world without the military. So they're like, who is going to fight if there is some sort of invasion? And let's yeah the hypothetical in Kapistan of america and well there's plenty of evidence that when they're like when people are scared and they think there's a real threat to america i mean they in world war ii they had a draft but they had far more people that were voluntarily signing up than they needed for the draft so uh, just with that like perspective you can look that when when there is if there is a possible threat coming you will have you know, thousands of 
soldiers or Marines that will sign up or, or if they're like, if they're without the Marine Corps army, there will be people that will volunteer that will, you know, want to join and fight because if there is a serious threat that's coming, like, I guess we can just say China or whatever, then people are going to pull their resources together and, and look and volunteer. And, and the, I mean, like, again, like the free market kind of figures a lot of these things out when there's a demand for something, someone or something will arrive and, and uh, will fill that gap. And if like, like, I, I don't know, it's not really hard for me to imagine that if we're being, I don't know, if ships start showing up at our shores, like what Americans are going to do. And it's like, yeah, we're going to come together and, and and it'll probably be something that kind of unites us on a front and, 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 and people will volunteer to like fight it off. I mean, like, like we kind of started this off, like there's this extreme virtue with people that are joining the military where they honestly do feel like they're signing up for something that's greater than themselves, that they're, they're willing to put their lives on the line and die for a cause. And that it's not that because you remove government that those values that people have even goes away. Like those values are still there. So even without the government and this idea of a standing army, then people will still come together and it'll probably be even more decentralized, which in a lot of ways can be a lot better. Decentralized uh, warfare is, is not easy at all for a conventional uh army to fight no not at all yeah just exactly that's why i brought up uh you know vietnam and the middle east is that was a decentralized uh army versus a centralized army and that's what's going to happen so so moving to the decentralized stuff um why how do you feel that bitcoin relates with the military um well well i would first i would just say that so the only reason we can have this massive American empire that seems to get involved in a lot of different countries is because of the Federal Reserve. And they have a lot of mass, they control the dollar. So, um, you know, if, if Americans were being taxed at a very high rate, we would, you, you see that a lot easier coming out of your paycheck than you would them just printing the money behind scenes and then later on inflation kicks in and then you actually lose value it's a harder it's a lot harder for a lot of people to uh grasp that concept so with bitcoin because there's a cap on how many bitcoin there is it can't be they can't create more of it it really impedes the federal reserve from uh printing more money that i mean if you like i'm pretty sure I don't remember. I haven't looked it up in a while, but I'm pretty sure most of the U.S.'s spending goes to the military. And with with Bitcoin, I mean, maybe they could. I don't know if they'll ever find a way. And or I'm sure if Bitcoin does take over, like some sort of government will try to tax it out of people. But it's a lot more uh, in your face when you're watching the government having to tax you uh, and you have to hand over your money explicitly than them being able to print it behind your back and you don't even see what's going on and the ramifications coming. So with Bitcoin, it kind of impedes the government from getting away with a lot of its uh, wasteful spending that is used for the American empire. Yeah, the only way these wars are possible is through <clears throat> the money printer. And 
Yeah, it's seriously messed up stuff. Um, you know, get us in a war, in wars that uh, do not help people. And not only are they hurting America by doing that, but they're also printing tons and tons of money and creating trillions of dollars out of thin air and devaluing the value, uh, devaluing the money in people's pockets. So they're being harmed in, in that way as well. Um, yeah, it's to me, I, I don't see any more effective option for stopping war than Bitcoin. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't see any other way. And the reason why is because I, I think everybody benefits from Bitcoin. Uh, yes, the Federal Reserve does not want Bitcoin to, you know, take over. And, and but that being said, I mean, a lot of politicians do because they have their own personal interests and, you know, for businesses in their, in the, their area uh, using it. We look at Ted Cruz out of Texas, you know, he's a huge Bitcoin bull because he's personally benefiting it, uh, you know, being a politician out of Texas where there's a lot of Bitcoin mining and, and people profit and he gets tax revenue. They're always going to want to fill their pockets, but Bitcoin gives people uh, at every level an incentive to adopt it. Um, do you think the, I mean, what do you think about the U.S. government and Bitcoin? Because, you know, the military industrial complex being defunded, that's a very, very big deal. And, uh, you know, they're not going to want to just immediately give up their power and let the world be on a Bitcoin standard. So uh, do, you, yeah. do you, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm not, I mean, I'm not really sure exactly exactly what the federal government will do but I, I think it's one of those things that it's inevitable and i feel like bitcoin's also like way too big for even the government to try to counter it and i i kind of feel like they like and i feel like the you know the federal government's probably going to invest and and then probably purchase a significant amount of bitcoin i i mean i don't i don't know it exactly when but I think this is one of those things that like they, I don't, I mean, I don't know if they know that their whole system is kind of like coming to a close, but it just seems like they're reacting like it is. I mean, the federal reserve is printing more and more money than ever before. Uh, they've, I think in the, like, what was it like the last, I might be messing this up, but like the last like two years, they printed like 40% of the money that's in circulation or something like that. And it just, to me, that looks like they're kind of trying to make out with everything they can before this, before something else takes over. And I mean, I'm not really sure on the timeline, but I just don't, I don't think there's anything they can do to stop it. I mean, maybe they can try to put regulations or um, maybe they'll try to, I don't really see them trying to like outright ban it. I mean, yeah. Even if, even if they did, I don't think that would work. So I kind of think that Bitcoin's kind of happening, whether they like it or not. I think they're, I think they recognize that now and they, they see it as a true threat, but in the end of the day, I really don't think there's anything they can do to stop it. And I mean, yet you're right. I don't know what that's going to do for all their special interests, the, the warfare state, the, I mean, the prison industrial complex, I mean, all the federal, all anything that the Federal Reserve prints money and funds like, I, I mean, I don't know how they're going to react, but it will be a massive change for them. And I, I just, in my opinion, I don't think there's really much they can do to stop it. Maybe they can 
put some roadblocks in the way. But in the end of the day, I, I think Bitcoin's going to probably take over. Yeah, I mean, the dollar is collapsing either way, and that would make everything else they're funding collapse as well. And I think that's inevitable with or without Bitcoin. If you look at the history of every other fiat currency that's existed, they all go to zero. So if anything, um, you know, the collapse, not every empire is going to last forever. And we're like a modern day Rome where we're, you know, we, how many, what is it? 134 different countries we have bases in. Yeah. <laughs> like that's, somewhere around there. Yeah. Like, and I think it's over 700 military bases total in other countries. So that's not ever going to be able to last permanently. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I think even even if they adopt it, they have an interest in doing that because I don't think they're going to give up the power of the money printer. Maybe they, they're obviously going to try and put in a, a CBDC. And sometimes, you know, what governments will do is they'll just replace the currency that's already dying and then just try and tell people it's a new currency. I, I picture that happening with the C CBDC in the United States. But either way, uh, if they have Bitcoin, then they're benefiting because the more money they print, the more wealth they gain, <laughs> like in proportion to the money they're printing, if that makes sense. So I, I, all, I agree with you. I think it's way too late for them to ban it at this point. I think too many people have too many interests in it. Um, you know, corporations own it. So uh, yeah, I, I guess the next step for them is to create as much FUD as possible, uh, regulate the hell out of it, and uh, I, I think that's the best they can do at this point. So, but for me, man, I mean, I mean, it, it's a really beautiful thing because when I was in the Marine Corps, I read about Bitcoin and I, I just had this aha moment of, wow, like if, if the entire world is on a Bitcoin standard, that will save people's lives and a lot of people's lives, you know, because it, because this warfare ends. So, you know, people buying Bitcoin is a matter of life and death if you really think about it. So uh, it's a pretty cool thing. Yeah, I, yeah, I really agree with you. And and not necessarily like, at least for maybe not right now, we don't really see that here in America. But if you look at like other countries, like it, it literally is like um, there's a significant amount of uh, people in Africa that are purchasing Bitcoin because I think like in Zimbabwe, like their currency is just going like their state currency is just going to trash and and when the when you have like the government that basically has a monopoly on the currency like you right now we put it in a bank because we're not supposed to, i mean you're not supposed to have like a certain amount of cash or something like that or at least when you transport it you can get like arrested for having like over ten thousand dollars or something like that and if when you look at other countries where their economic effect is a lot more severe than it is in ours, at least right now, they need something that can cross borders and they need something that they can put their value into. So it's sustainable. And because their, their currency is much more volatile and, and, and I mean, hell, I think Venezuela went through hyperinflation, which is insane to like, like, I don't think a lot of Americans could even grasp the concept that like your money has a lot of value. Then like a couple of days later, it's worth nothing, like damn near nothing. Like pay toilet paper is worth more than your a sheet of toilet paper is worth more than the dollar right now. Like, I don't think a lot of people can grasp that in their heads and and trying to explain that to people that like 
these poor countries where their currency is being massively devalued, this Bitcoin is giving them some sort of life, something they can invest in, something that doesn't lose value uh, and is mu much more reliable. I mean, you don't have to go through the big banks to transport your money. I mean, someone here in America, if they just wanted to give money to someone in Venezuela, they can do it om almost instantaneously. They don't need to go through some third party bank and get it wired and you have to pay like some sort of uh, what's it called when you convert dollars into Venezuelan money or whatever. You don't have to yeah, worry about stuff like yeah. Yes, that's what I'm looking for. And and yeah, I, I think that the effects of Bitcoin is it's already happening in other countries. And I think it's just a matter of time before it becomes more of a real life adoption here in America. And we're already seeing signs of it being picked up a lot more and more here today. Yeah. Yeah. People are feeling the pain of inflation and it does not take a rocket scientist to you know notice like a lot of money is being created and I'm buying less and less with it. So, um, yeah, well, Hey man, I, uh, I really appreciate you jumping on the podcast and it's, it's really cool to talk with, uh, like-minded veterans that see why Bitcoin is such a big deal. And, um, yeah, man, we're, we're growing in numbers. Like every conference I go to, I'm meeting more and more veterans that are into Bitcoin and it's, a, it's just a, I think it's a really good niche. So, um, yeah, really appreciate you taking the time. And, and actually, if you could just tell us how we could find you. Yeah, for sure. Um, first, I just want to say thanks for having me on, Andrew. Uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. Um, but if you can find, if you just go to biting, bitingthebulletpod.com, you can find all the links to our social media, our podcast, our episodes are all there. And then if you want to follow me on social media, it's uh, at the real typo on Twitter. Awesome. Right on. All right. Until next time, I will end the recording now. Cheers.